The reading of the scriptures in Genesis chapter 10. Invite your hearing uh, in reverence and faith God's word, and may God give grace both to the reading and to the hearing of it, as we have it here in Genesis chapter 10. These are the generations of the sons of Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Sons were born to them after the flood. The sons of Japheth, Gomer, Magog, Madai, Javan, Tubal, Meshech, and Tiras. The sons of Gomer, Ashkenaz, Riphath, and Togarmah. The sons of Javan, Elisha, and Tarshish, and Ketim, and Dodanim. And from the coastlines, people spread in their lands, each with his own language, by their clans in their nations. The sons of Ham, Cush, Egypt, Put, and Canaan. The sons of Cush, Seba, and Havilah, Sabta, Reama, and Sabtaka. The sons of Reama, Sheba, and Dedan. Cush fathered Nimrod. He was the first on earth to be a mighty man. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Therefore, it is said, like Nimrod, a mighty hunter before the Lord. The beginning of his kingdom was Babel and uh, Erech and Akkad and Kalna in the land of Shinar. From that land, he went into Assyria and built Nineveh, Rehoboth, Ir, Kalah, and Rason between Nineveh and Kalah. That is the great city. Egypt fathered Ludim and Anamim and Lehabim and Nephtuhim and Pashrusim and Kalishim, from whom the Philistines came, and Kaphtorim. Canaan fathered Sidon, his firstborn, and Heth, and the Jebusites and the Amorites and the Girgashites, the Hivites, the Archites, the Sinites, the Arvidites, the Zamorites, the Hamathites. Afterward, the clans of the Canaanites dispersed, and the territory of the Canaanites extended from Sidon in the direction of Gerar as far as Gaza, and in the direction of Sodom, Gomorrah, Adma, and Zeboim, as far as Lasha. These are the sons of Ham by their clans, their languages, their lands, and their nations. Dushim also was uh, the father of all the children of Eber and the elder brother of Japheth. Children were born. The sons of Shem, Elam, Asher, Arkbashad, Lud, Aram. The sons of Aram, Uz, and Hul, Gaither, and Mash. Arkbashad fathered Shelah, and Shelah fathered Eber. To Eber were born two sons. The name of one was Peleg. For in his days the earth was divided, and his brother's name was Joktan, and Joktan fathered Almadad, and Shelef, Hazamarath, Zeroth, Hadaram, Uzal, and Deklah, Obel, Abimael, Sheba, Ophir, Havilah, and Jobab. All these were the sons of Joktan. The territory in which they live extended from the Mishah in the direction of the Safar to the hill country of the east. These are the sons of Shem by their clans, their languages, their lands, and their nations. 
These are the clans of the sons of Noah, according to their genealogies in their nations, and from these nations spread abroad on the earth after the flood. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. As you know, there are still places where um, genealogies are in- incredibly important. I think very quickly of, of uh, Victorian England, uh, where your genealogy established a permanent place uh, in, uh, in your land. Certainly the house of Saud today. Born into that house, you're, uh, uh, you're in pretty good shape materially. Um, certainly not spiritually, but uh, nonetheless, um, reminder here as we read this extended uh, genealogy that uh, they have an important place uh, in the scriptures. Uh, we should also be thankful that these genealogies, uh, in a measure, don't have any significance to the sons of God because our physical birth uh, is not determinative of uh, our place in eternity. Uh, you and I, by faith in Christ and Christ alone, uh, belong to the highest and greatest of all the caste systems of uh, all of civilization. Essentially, our text this morning is reminding us that the uh, sons are filling the earth uh, according to the mandate that God gave to all mankind uh, to multiply, to fill the earth, and extend the boundaries of the kingdom of God. Uh, It's important to recognize that there are two families, only two. uh, Physical family, the sons of Cain, the sons of the serpent, if you will, uh, as well as the sons of God. Beyond physical uh, generation in Genesis chapter 10, Moses includes uh, tribal names, cities and countries, place names, as, uh, as well as political factors. If you think about it, uh, many of us have last names uh, that are uh, place names, uh, sometimes uh, names that uh, might speak to a certain skill, uh, like the last name Weaver. My own, my own last name is tied to the Saxon region of Germany. Uh, it's also a trade name. Yeah, I come from an exalted list of uh, farmers. That's a German name, Bauer, uh, son of a farmer. So um, far removed, of course, from uh, nobility, but nonetheless, uh, it's important to give a measure of attention to the importance of names. We don't do that today. I, I think uh, I think we should, um, particularly as the sons of God. Uh, from the three sons of Noah come uh, in this text seventy nations. Uh, in, in my own mind, uh, the seventy is symbolic. Uh, seven uh, and ten are symbolic numbers of great significance in the Old Testament. Uh, so. It's a measure of the completeness of the nations that are going to flood the earth. And points us in particular to the theological reality of, of how the nations relate to one nation, and that is Israel. And even in our own times, because I believe that we are spiritual uh, Israel, 
because of Christ our Redeemer. Uh, the chapter is referred to as the Table of Nations, uh, but it's, uh, I think, of greater significance of uh, the theological reality of, uh, if you will, a theological history. As you know, the Bible is not uh, an exhaustive historical document, uh, but it is an exhausted theological document. Uh, all of the theology in the book of Genesis is true today. Uh, and everything really spins off of uh, the theology of Genesis chapter 1. So in that sense, uh, the scriptures are an exhaustive theological reality of incredible significance. Uh, the chapter begins with uh, sometimes referred to as two bookends. Uh, now, these are the generations, uh, verse 1. If you look down verse 32, uh, Genesis chapter 10, you have another reference to generations, sons of Noah. Uh, it's a technical term to it. It's somewhat insignificant. Uh, but it really is meant to remind us uh, to go to the what's in between the bookends. I mean, I have a number of bookends in my home, and I know you do as well. I don't really ever look at my bookends, but I look at a lot of the books. I refer to the books. I pull the books down, read some of them, and put them back. So I don't really care a great deal about my bookends. Maybe you do. But what's in between them is of unprecedented significance. That's why I think it's important to look at what's in between. And what's in between here is uh, the sons of Cain, if you will, the sons of the serpent, and the sons of God are filling the earth according to the mandate of Genesis chapter 1, verse 28. Um, we have the sons of uh, Japheth in verses 2 to 5, and Shem 21 to 31. And in between are the sons of Ham, which are uh, profoundly significant here, verses 6 to 20. Now, we also know from Genesis chapter 9 that Noah blessed the sons of Shem and Japheth. Remember what he did to the sons of Ham? Well, he cursed them because of what, because of what he did. Well, let's look at uh, a, a small measure, uh, if you will, a part of a larger whole of uh, one particular man. Uh, because the chapter gives us a biographical sketch of one man. Uh, nowhere else in this text is there a biographical sketch except this one man. Uh, I think Moses is reminding us that he represents many. In fact, sadly, I will tell you, he represents much of our own culture here in uh, Oklahoma, the United States of America, really across the world. So the biographical sketch is very, very important. Uh, and he represents danger regarding the curse and enmity. That's another theological reality of uh, this chapter because we know from the fall of Adam and Eve that there's enmity between the two families of the earth. They're in opposition one to the other. Uh, verse 8, we have his name. His name is Nimrod. I used to hear that phrase 10 or 15, 20 years ago. Well, that guy's a real Nimrod. It's always kind of catch my attention. He's really a parallel, a very interesting parallel. Uh, Genesis chapter 4, verse 23 to Lamech, who was a bigamist, a violent man, also a godless man. 
And I think the parallel is definitive of the type of the character of Nimrod. Uh, verse 8, we read that he was mighty, he was a mighty one on the earth. As you know, this word can be used uh, pejoratively or positively. It's the pejorative that's in this text. It's very negative. Because he was a man who magnified himself. He was a proud, a vain, and arrogant man. Now the, the verbal form, if you want to look at it, the verbal form used in uh, uh, the book of Job, uh, Job chapter 15, In verse 25. Because he had stretched out his hand against God and conducts himself arrogantly against the Almighty. That's the description to a T of Genesis chapter 10, verse 8 of Nimrod. He's shaking his fist. This man, Nimrod, shakes his fist against God. Because he's angry at God. And occasionally you run across someone in a culture where they're very angry against God because something's happened to them. I mean, I don't know. Uh, people of incredible anger. Uh, it's really the root of much of the uh, violence in our own culture. Uh, shootings in shopping centers and schools and sometimes churches, tragically. Just people expressing incredible anger. Uh, against the God who created the people that they're assassinating. Um, and here he is uh, he's arrogant to his superior uh, because Moses names his superior. Uh, notice uh, what the text uh, reads um, that he's uh, angry against El uh, Shaddai. Uh, that course, is a it's proper name, but it's uh, really descriptive of God. Uh, describes God as the only sufficient person in all the universe. The only independent and unique person in all of the universe. That can be said of no other person that's ever lived except God himself. Uh, because you and I are not sufficient in and of ourselves. And the older we get, the uh, more we realize how dependent we are on others. And none of us are truly unique, uh, except the great God of heaven, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And of course, none of us are independent in any way. The older we get, the more we recognize how manifestly dependent we are on others and institutions and sometimes governments. It's not true of God. He needs none of that. Uh, no one props him up because of who he is. Uh, the phrase or the name El Shaddai is most often translated uh, God the Almighty. So Nimrod is a violent opponent of God the Almighty. He cares nothing for God. He, uh, he flaunts the moral code. Uh, he thinks he breaks the moral code with impunity. Uh, he's described again, if you look at Genesis chapter 10, verse 9, he was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Therefore, it is said like Nimrod, a mighty hunter before the Lord. So he has dominion. 
he thinks, over the entire animal kingdom. Um, if you think theologically in terms of the genealogies of uh, the book of Genesis, he has a cousin in Esau. He's another mighty hunter. And again, uh, he's spoken of a profound, tragic, uh, sad uh, way, certainly by uh, Moses and uh, the Apostle Paul in the New Testament. Uh, Romans chapter 9, verse 13, Jacob I loved, Esau I hated. Or you could say Esau was rejected by God. Uh, that, that is this tragic a description of a man or a woman or boy or girl that can ever be read in all the Scriptures. Rejected by God. That was Esau. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 16. There be no immoral or godless person like Esau who sold his own birthright for a single meal. Very, very sad description. That means he cared nothing about his lineage. He sold it for a bowl of soup and a piece of bread. It's like men sometimes sell their souls. Reminded, uh, I don't know if it was yesterday's Wall Street Journal, the Daily Oklahoman, but uh, Solzhenitsyn uh, describing the gulags, thrown into prison. He describes men, sometimes uh, men would forget God and, and sell their souls, uh, which is a profoundly dangerous thing to do. Sell your soul for a meal. And uh, it's very interesting in uh, Solzhenitsyn's life, he, he came to bless prison because it drove him to God. I don't know if you've ever read the book, but, it, but he, you know, he, he describes our, our culture. Uh, another great speech he you know, gave that uh, we have forgotten God. It's the essence of many of the ills of society and our culture. More importantly, Nimrod started the kingdom of Babel, or Babylon, another translation. Built the city of Nineveh in, uh, part, uh, Nineveh in Assyria, uh, which are what? Mortal enemies of the nation state of Israel. So that's, that's the spiritual heritage of this man. He builds Babylon. He builds uh, Nineveh. Uh, markers for anyone who knows the Scriptures that those were ancient enemies. So he is a threat to the sons of God. Uh, when I was reading this uh, uh, text of Babylon, I picked up uh, uh, the Psalter, Psalm 137, verse 1, by the rivers of Babylon. Description of the children of Israel are being led into captivity uh, and uh, by, by the great rivers, there we sat down and wept because of the incredible sadness that now grips their souls. Been driven out of their country. There we, there we wept when we remembered Zion. Uh, you and I should have a a measure of significance to that phrase because you and I belong to heavenly Zion. 
we don't uh, we don't weep because we are its sons by faith, but we long for its coming for us. Sometimes that causes us to weep uh, because we we would pray and wish it would come soon. Upon the willows in the midst of it, we hung our harps, for there are captors. This is really painful. Demanded of a song, so they're going to mock. They're going to mock their captives. And our tormentors with mirth saying, sing us one of the songs of Zion about your God who couldn't deliver you. So very, very pejorative language, mocking God. But um, um, Babylon doesn't have that uh, significance today, except for what? Spiritual Babylon, profoundly significant. Book of the Revelation, Revelation chapter 18, verse 6, pay her back even as she is paid, John says. Because spiritual Babylon has ruined the lives and the souls of countless in this world. So John is saying, pay her back for what she's done. In fact, he's harsher than that. He says, give her double. Put in a cup which she has mixed twice as much for her. So uh, John doesn't think kindly of spiritual Babylon and neither should we because it is constantly seeking to destroy our souls. And it's everywhere in our culture. Chapter 18, verse 21, Revelation. Strong angel took up stone like a great millstone and threw it into the sea, saying, Thus will Babylon, the great city, be thrown down with violence. It will not be found any longer. So we, I mean, we pray for that, for that day, day in which a spiritual Babylon will fall. And one of the things that Moses is implicitly reminding us as we go through this text is... Uh, these great, these great spiritual cities will fall someday. Um, I was reading, believes in the Daily, Daily Oklahoman uh, today. Uh, Ronald Reagan once said of his commentary in the Cold War, we win, they lose. So Moses is telling us we win. Spiritual Zion will win and spiritual Babylon will lose. Great, great cities uh, that have great significance. Um, well, the contrast to the sons of Nimrod that are flooding our world and our culture, doing incredible violence and arrogance against God, are the sons of God. Uh, we fill the earth too, don't we? Advancing the divine image with God's help. It's the importance of the markers in the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 4, verse 1. Uh, chapter 4, verse 26. Uh, the sons of God call out for God to help them. Um, illustrated in my favorite character by Enoch. He walked with God and he was not, for God took him. And Noah, who, who uh, you know his name is from the Hebrew verb to rest. He rested in the spiritual provisions of God. I trust you and your faith rest in the spiritual provisions of God because there's no eternal rest in 
uh, any other provision but the divine rest of God that comes from Christ. Um, and Noah rested in the ark from judgment uh, on godless men, and Noah as well was blessed by God. But if you think about it, you and I are at a decisive disadvantage uh, against the sons of Nimrod. We have spiritual help, but not necessarily physical help or material help, um, because Nimrods uh, care nothing about the moral code. Uh, they can murder, propagate violence, and violate uh, the pre-fall institution of marriage, lie, cheat, and steal, because that means nothing to them. It does to us. Uh, so that in our dealings with them, we are at profound disadvantage. And, and again, we, we hold fast to uh, Reagan's reminder that uh, because of God, uh, we win and they will ultimately lose. Uh, I had a Hebrew uh, professor uh, once gave an illustration in a sermon that has always kind of stuck with me. He said, it's like you and I are playing a tennis match. And uh, we have to serve the ball to our opponent, and there's boundaries. And if we hit a ball outside the boundary, then it doesn't count, and sometimes we're even disqualified. But on our side of the court, there are no boundaries. They can murder, cheat, steal, lie, take advantage of us. It means nothing to them. So think, of, think about that in terms of how disadvantaged we are in this world against uh, the great mighty hunters like Lamech and Nimrod. The point is, it drives us to hope and to hold fast our faith and uh, to trust God to believe in Him, knowing that in Him we win. Uh, and, of course, that ultimately God is our help. Uh, remind you of Psalm 112, verse 1, Praise the Lord, how blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in His commandments. There's the description of that man in the 112th Psalm. He will not fear evil tidings. His heart is steadfast. Trusting in the Lord. So bad news comes to him. His heart's steadfast. He's not shaken. The point. His heart is upheld. He will not fear until he looks with satisfaction upon his adversaries. That God will ultimately affect. Uh, second, uh, in terms of the description of uh, Nimrod, as you know, God is the ultimate mighty warrior. Uh, the, uh, the Puritans remind us that our Savior saves us as a king because he fights our battles. He wins for us, decisively wins for us. Uh, great passages, as you know, and uh, the names of Christ in Isaiah chapter 9. One of his names is Mighty God. Same description, if you will, of uh, Nimrod as a mighty hunter. Our king is a mighty God who wins our battles for us. Uh, remind you of uh, 
uh, Daniel chapter 2, uh, verses 44 and 45. And in the days of these kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which will never be destroyed, and that kingdom will not be left for another people. It will crush and put an end to all these kingdoms, but it, it will itself endure forever. Inasmuch as you saw that a stone was cut out of the mountain without hands, and that it crushed the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold, the great God has made known to the king what will take place in the future. So the dream is true, and its interpretation trustworthy. As you know, in the book of Matthew, Christ describes himself as that stone who will crush the spiritual Babylons and Ninevehs of the world in which we live and totally destroy them. And the wind will blow them away. So hope in the Lord. Have a steadfast heart. Because as our great King, He wins our victories. Uh, the Apostle Paul, as you know, reminds us uh, of this in Romans chapter 16 and verse 20. Uh, when he says, uh, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. It's one of the reasons we don't have to violate the moral code regarding our enemies. I mean, I understand we get sometimes profoundly angry. Maybe you don't, but I do. You get, somebody wrongs you, you just shake your head. You want to get mad. You want to, they throw rocks at you. You want to throw a rock back at them. But the Bible says, no, you can't do that. Love your enemies. How can you do that? Well, you can do that because of what Christ is for you. Your victor. Uh, and yeah, retribution falls to Him. It's good to leave it with Him, by the way. And uh, the end state is uh, the God of peace will crush in His own time. Uh, it's also the reminder in terms of the violence of Nimrod that we walk by faith and uh, not, not by sight. And that if you think of the genealogies here, he's ultimately narrowing them down uh, through Shem that will end in Abram, uh, ultimately Abraham, who what? Who believed God. And what? It was reckoned to him as righteousness, which is our ultimate hope. Uh, the very righteousness of Christ imputed to us. So God is trustworthy. It's true that we use, uh, we use means in our faith, but ultimately our deliverance is from God. A great reminder, again, returning uh, to the Psalter, Psalm 33. Um, it's important to be reminded of the great provisions of God. Uh, Psalm 33 uh, Verse 16, uh, we're reminded that uh, the king is not saved by a mighty army. He may use a mighty army, but he's not saved by a mighty army. A warrior is not delivered by great strength. He may use it, but he's not delivered by it. A horse is a false sense of hope for victory. Uh, but again, it's God who wins our battles. And behold, the eye of the Lord is upon those who fear Him, on those who hope for His loving kindness to deliver their soul from death and to keep them alive in famine. Our soul waits for the Lord, the psalmist tells us. He is our help and our shield, for our heart rejoices in Him. Uh, because we trust in His holy name, let Thy loving kindness, O Lord, be upon us 
Accordingly, we have hoped in thee. I mean, that's our calling. Uh, because of the violence of men like Nimrod, we, uh, we wait upon the Lord. Uh, and you and I as well are filling the earth, extending the divine image of Genesis chapter 1, verse 28 with the gospel. Um, I've reminded you repeatedly as we touch upon the phrase that we're to multiply and fill the earth, that that's essentially fulfilled by faith in the Great Commission. Um, we are the agents of our great King. He leaves us on the earth to propagate the majesty of His name, uh, to create many sons of glory. Uh, we're commanded to go and to make disciples. Uh, the means to accomplish this is in baptizing and teaching uh, two important elements at Grace Bible Church. In the former, we renounce past loyalties and are initiated into the visible church. In the latter, uh, we observe and keep His commandments that identify us as the sons of God. That's our genealogy. We're the sons of God by faith. Uh, and the difficulties are overcome by the abiding promise of His presence. I mean, you know Matthew 28. Lo, I'm with you always. How often is He with us? Always. Darkest times of your life, He is with you. You feel alone? You're not. You feel defeated? You're not. Uh, Johannine Commission. I uh, just want to look at a, a analog. Uh, John, John chapter 20. Uh, Jesus, uh, the resurrected Christ, uh, comes into the uh, midst of His apostles. And uh, verse 21, John chapter 20, Jesus therefore said to them, Peace be with you as the Father has sent me, I send you. So He also sends you and me. I remind you of that because I think sometimes we forget why we are here. And when He said this, He breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. You know that comes from Ezekiel. He breathes upon the nation to give them life. Acts chapter 2, He breathes upon us the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, their sins have been forgiven. If you retain the sins of any, they have been uh, retained. Um, this is conduct enjoined or disallowed in the Scriptures. That's, that really breaks upon all of us because we look at both. Uh, the importance of the Word of God. Uh, in our culture, it's becoming less and less important to the church, but it should not be so. Uh, because of what Christ says to us. And with this word, you and I represent the King of glory in heaven. Uh, there's a conceptual allusion to uh, the 70 nations of Genesis 10 uh, in Acts chapter 2. It's another conceptual allusion uh, in Luke uh, chapter 10. Uh, We read in verse 1, now after this, he appointed 70 others. And you know what he says to them after he appoints them? He wants them to go out and proclaim the gospel. He says, take nothing with you. He says, I'll, I'll provide everything you need. Leave your purse at home. Leave your charge card uh, at the house. I'm going to provide for you. Uh, 
Look at, look at verse 16, 20. The one who listens to you listens to me. I mean, we think when we're sharing the gospel or perhaps sharing with someone in our family that we profoundly love and adore, but they're not there yet, we, we, we share the gospel. Why? Well, Christ tells us, the one who listens to you listens to me. And the one who rejects you rejects me. And he who rejects me rejects the one who sent me. Uh, and then the 70 return and they rejoice because they see the power of God. The majesty of God. Uh, and, and he said to them, I was watching Satan fall from heaven like lightning. It's the very genesis of our faith right there. If he didn't depose Satan, none of us would have ever, ever been able to overcome his deceptions. But he does, uh, thereby binding him so that we can come to faith. Behold, I've given you authority to tread upon serpents and scorpions, scorpions and all over the power of the enemy, and nothing will injure you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this. The spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are recorded in heaven. Wow. That's our genealogy. Coming to Christ, our names have been recorded in the greatest city-state of all of civilization in time because we are the sons of spiritual Zion. And as we advance the Gospel as we should, we're spiritually protected. It's interesting that uh, there's a marker in Genesis chapter 10 of the sons of Nimrod that they build cities. When we begin to study Abram, he doesn't build cities. He builds altars to worship God. That's our calling. Build altars to worship God. Not literal altars. Places where we can worship the one true God because of what He has done for us. And we do so as the church militant and triumphant. And we do so because we're the sons not by physical generation. Because it's not by blood or family line, but by faith in Christ. Uh, and this morning, we have a profound reminder of that um, in the Lord's table. Uh, I remind you as uh, uh, past the sacraments that the body of Christ was uh, broken, disfigured in profound pain and agony, suffering. For what? To pay the penalty that you and I owed. Uh, he shed His blood very force of his life drained out of him for what? To pay the penalty of our guilt and sin. So, um, the sacrament of the Lord's uh, table is one of only two visible sacraments. Baptism being one, and of course, his table. Where we actually see and measure the profound significance of the grace of God in our lives. And this morning in the Lord's table, uh, that what He did for us, uh, that uh, we might be the sons of spiritual Zion and know that our names have been recorded in heaven. Um, as I uh, pass the bread, I would uh, ask that you hold it until which time we are all served and then we will partake uh, together. Um, and uh, likewise, as I pass the cup, uh, that you hold the cup until which time we're all served and we will partake together. 
Uh, I'm going to need some help in passing the elements. So if some of the men that have uh, helped me in the past would come forward. Uh, we will begin to remember our great, great Redeemer uh, who is the genesis of our names recorded in heaven even today.